Chapter 15 Iraq Nathan Rhodes cleared his throat and spoke to the Glasser team. Early in 2004 in Iraq, after the U.S. had captured Saddam Hussein, there was shit beginning to brew in Basra and Fallujah. The insurgency was a new element into the mix of things, and politicians were quick to deny it. However, guys like me and the president, who were on the ground, knew what was happening. It was like a wall of water coming at you that you couldn't stop. I was in charge of a Marine Expeditionary Unit. In February, I was in the Green Zone for a few days of briefing meetings with my attaché, a major named Terrence Washington. You met him yesterday, the president. It was early one evening after our last briefing meeting, and most of our colleagues had bugged out. Terry, well, the president and I, decided to walk the Green Zone perimeter to get a look at everything up close and personal. Needless to say, it wasn't something officers like ourselves were encouraged to do. We were at the far end of the zone, in a remote area, when a firefight broke out about a block away from our perimeter, something rumored to be an hourly occurrence. An RPG nearly took my head off as it went through a fence and exploded in what looked to be an old abandoned house. Keep in mind, we were on the fringe of the zone, as in an area where there was no active military personnel, just a few scattered families that wouldn't leave and an occasional patrol. When we went to check the house to see if anybody was injured, we found what looked to be a miniature mobile command center, complete with communications, battle plans, you name it. It was a miniature fucking Pentagon in there, I tell you. There was no one around there, and we began to look through the paperwork lying around. For an hour, we sifted through the files, and what we saw wasn't good. Basically, it was an entire war plan built around a massive set of private business objectives. There were no corporate names. However, it looked like reams of marketing plans supporting every major initiative we'd been briefed on earlier. However, instead of winning hearts and minds, we were systematically blowing shit up for the sake of new infrastructure contracts for U.S. corporations. Communications were cryptic. However, it was pretty goddamn obvious there was likely involvement a lot higher up the food chain than me. Terry was enraged. He was putting his life on the line and men's lives on the line for what looked to be like corporate greed. He managed to take several boxes of files out of the house and put them in an area where we could get them later. During that time, I was alone in the house, looking through files, when the fuckers who manned the house came back. I would say a firefight ensued, but it was really nothing more than them shooting my ass in the chest. They searched the place and tried to make sure I was alone. Terry was outside near a window and heard him talking about disposing of my body, saying I needed to disappear or something. Never mind that I was a full-bird fucking colonel. These cocksuckers could have cared less. I didn't mind it so much when Terry put a nugget of lead in each one of their fucking heads. I wasn't in good shape, but Terry managed to get me out of there and put me up with an Iraqi family several streets over and paid off a local doctor. He hid the documents and burned the fucking building knowing that he had to remove any trace of our presence. 
The house had been hit with an RPG, so it was plausible that it would go up. To make a long story short, Terry heard one of the men reading my dog tag off to a superior on a phone. He made a snap decision to hide me, fake my death, and eventually help me make it over the Turkish border. At the time, it seemed extreme. However, I didn't have any family, and there was clear consensus among us. Whoever it was that ran the operation would want to finish the job. In retrospect, that may have been our smartest move to date. So rewind two and a half years ago, when Terry Washington, a war hero and my friend, was elected president. The first thing he asked was me to organize a secret task force to learn more about the organization and eradicate it. It's been more difficult than we imagined. First was funding. You'd think with all the money sloshing around in Washington, it'd be fairly easy to misdirect a few hundred million here or there. Unfortunately, that ain't the case. Most of the money, as I'm sure you know, has some form of corporate earmark. The General Accounting Office may not know where some of it gets siphoned off to. However, you can bet your ass a myriad of corporate sponsors do. They don't get it, then a congressman gets a call and an investigation starts, Rhodes wound down. So, that's where the Department of Agriculture comes in, right? Jack asked. Yes, indeed. Even though most corporate interests want to kill it, the good old Department of Agriculture still exists and thankfully provides a very solid front for our project. There's no problem siphoning off cash, well, within reason, of course. And good old agriculture doesn't have a lot of oversight since it's not very sexy these days. That said, the department director is very good friends of the president and was appointed by him, so he never says no to anything. You said the first issue was funding. You got that handled. What's a second problem? Luke chimed in. Well, you noticed it when you walked in. It's manpower. Most of my operational team is from Homeland, FBI, CIA, or former military. For security purposes, most of them are dead. The brothers looked at him with dismay. Now, not literally dead, just minor record-keeping tweaks, effectively erasing them from the system. They're either listed as missing in action or deceased. The problem is, it's not really feasible to have an army of the dead. At some point, you just can't keep hiding in plain sight. We brought in a few people like you from the private sector. All the people you just met out there. But the organization's deep, and it's wide. We got to do more with less. We're not the NSA, and we don't have deep pockets, so we have to be smarter. Luke rolled his eyes a bit and leaned back in his chair. Colonel, that's a good story, but I am still trying to figure out the part where you're actually smarter than they are. Looks to me like you haven't made much of a dent. Shit, his ex is still out there killing people, and supposedly you've got an inside person on her. Doesn't seem like that's yielding much fruit, Luke said. Yeah, doesn't look like you got a problem calling bullshit, son, Rhodes said absently. Nope, to this point, other than knowing they exist, having one operative in by a shoestring, and being too little too late, we're still having some trouble. We wanted Beth Colby, 
our intention was to grab her and turn her, or at least try to move a little further up the food chain without sacrificing our operative's cover. Jack shrugged and shook his head. Rhodes continued. We still want to, however, in all honesty, you're still our best hope. If you think I'm your best hope, then we've all got problems, Jack replied. Maybe, maybe not, Luke said. I'm no mind reader, Luke smiled as he spoke to Jack. But you've been fucking with these people for four years without even knowing it. If you can keep doing what you were doing, then at least we'll have a decent shot of potentially narrowing the field. At least get into a position to peel off a few organization companies in the process. Isn't that what you're thinking, Colonel? Luke asked. Rhodes nodded in agreement. We've also got it on good authority where Miss Colby will strike next. New York, Jack and Luke said in unison. Indeed, Rhodes said, rubbing his eyes. I need you boys to get acquainted with what we've got here. Run through the paperwork and whatnot over the next few days. I'll be taking a road trip to the Big Apple, see if I can peel off our first corporate snitch.